Hello and welcome to this special Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. This is the latest in our series partnering with the Accountability Framework. And over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about sustainability in the rubber sector. Certainly, compared with other commodities such as palm oil or soy, the rubber sector has rather flown under the radar. But it is big business. Globally, more than 12 million tonnes of natural rubber is produced every year, generating $300 billion and supporting 40 million people directly and indirectly, primarily in Southeast Asia. A recent ZSL spot report into rubber supply chains identifies a number of risks from the expanding rubber sector, including deforestation, biodiversity loss, and impacts on watercourses, as well as the sorts of social risks that are typically associated with agricultural commodities, such as labour rights and land tenure issues. And we'll be talking about some of these in more detail a little later on. To address these issues and more, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development established the Global Platform for Sustainable Natural Rubber in 2018. More recently, the GPSNR has been partnering with the Accountability Framework, focusing on developing best practice through real-life on-the-ground examples. So joining me today to discuss all of this are Karen Steer, Manager at the Rainforest Alliance and lead the Accountability Framework on Rubber, Stefano Savi, Director of the Global Platform Sustainable Natural Rubber, Philip de Groot, Head of Agronomy for Rubber at Sockfin, and Anna Arce, Senior Manager, Corporate Sustainability Governance at Bridgestone Americas. Welcome to you all. Karen, let me turn to you first. Perhaps you can give us a brief introduction or a reminder about what the Accountability Framework is all about and then outline your work in the rubber sector and how you're working with the GPSNR. So the Accountability Framework Initiative, or AFI, is a coalition of leading environmental and human rights organizations that operate globally as well as in tropical commodity producing countries and they came together to advance a shared goal of making responsible agriculture and forestry supply chains the new normal. And we're doing this in two different ways. First, by providing the accountability framework itself, which is a clear and common roadmap for achieving responsible supply chains with regard to eliminating commodity-driven deforestation and ecosystem conversion, as well as full respect for human rights. It's a set of 12 core principles, guidance, and definitions for setting robust policy commitments, implementing them, and demonstrating progress on those commitments made. The framework reflects the consensus of the AFI coalition members, as well as international norms and expectations of buyers, stakeholders, and investors. And secondly, the coalition works together to promote uptake of the framework. And this is done by engaging directly with companies to adopt elements of the framework in their policies and practices, and then also by engaging with industry associations, multi-stakeholder and reporting platforms and other initiatives to embed the framework in their own policies and guidelines. And so these initiatives have looked to the accountability framework as a starting point for developing their own sets of requirements and guidance because the framework offers a solid reference for responsible supply chains that is recognized as accepted good practice and therefore allows the initiatives to proceed with greater confidence that their policies and guidelines reflect international norms. And also because it allows these initiatives to fast track their own processes by taking a lot of the deliberations and the wheel reinventing out of that policy development process so they can proceed more quickly from policy development to implementation. Um, and as an umbrella framework, it also enables all players to speak the same language and work off the same roadmap, which is really what we need in order to mainstream globally. 
So we were approached by the Global Platform for Sustainable Natural Rubber a few years ago as they were just starting to think about and develop their own policy framework that their member companies would need to follow. And organizations who are members of both GPSNR as well as the AFI Coalition encouraged them to ground their policy in the AFI's core principles, definitions, and guidance. So after the GPSNR itself made that decision to look to the framework, we then closely engaged with them over a few year period to adapt the framework to be applied more specifically to the rubber sector and to fit what GPSNR calls its desired state for the natural rubber chain. And this has been a really great collaboration also for us because it takes the framework, which is a globally applicable for all commodities, and it contextualizes it for the rubber sector specifically. So that when we're approached by companies producing or sourcing rubber who are looking to use the framework, we can then point to GPSNR for that guidance and support. Stefano then, perhaps you can give us a bit of introduction to the GPSNR. So what's the purpose of the organization and what's its scope? Yeah, GPSNR, as you mentioned before, was formed about three years ago now, and voluntary membership international initiative Yeah, that brings together players around all the supply chain of natural rubber, from the smallholder producers to the processors, uh, manufacturers, and the end users of natural rubber, as well as the civil society organizations that are working in the natural rubber space to create a fair, equitable, and environmentally sound natural rubber value chain. We've worked with the last three years, starting with a handful of members, and now we have reached almost 150 members in GPSNR that are representing a staggering 50 plus percent of the market volume of natural rubber trading. So despite being quite a young organization, I would say that we have quite an important footprint a good base of members that makes me think that we have a good potential in really giving it a good go at transforming the industry to become more sustainable. As Karen was mentioning, just now we have collaborated with AFI from the beginning, and I think it's helped us a lot in understanding how to work together with companies and with civil society organizations and understand what's the pathway towards a more sustainable value chain. AFI has helped us a lot with their pillars in uh, uh, understanding that we need to first get companies and members to set commitments. And this is what we've worked on in the first years of GPSNR with what also Ken was mentioning, the development of our policy framework. And now companies that become members of GPSNR, they must produce within six months of joining the platform policies that are in line with this policy framework. That is a broad framework that includes requirements that uh, cover both environmental, social, and economic aspects of sustainability and natural rubber. Currently, GPSNR is working on basically the second step of the AFI pillars, if I can so call that. But the second part is implementation. And we are working on developing an implementation guidance for companies. And we've also worked this last year in producing and agreeing at our General Assembly on a set of reporting requirements that members will have to complete on an annual basis to report on progress towards achieving the commitments that they set up in their policies. So with that, we are trying to create now and and finalize our complete assurance model for GPSNR that will include a risk-based approach and measurements for monitoring and evaluation and systems to allow companies to make claims about the sustainability of natural rubber, which is something that is currently in the works within GPSNR. A lot of work with a lot of members, but hopefully we're going to have the ability of 
pulling all the reins in and getting this to be put into fruition to make real change in the supply chain. I mentioned some of these earlier, but for you, what characterizes the main risks for companies with rubber in their supply chain? Rubber is a very peculiar commodity. Yeah? My experience, I've worked in other tropical agricultural commodities, and I think rubber is quite peculiar. And the reason why it's quite peculiar is because there's a cyclical trend in prices of natural rubber. This trend of prices influences what are the risks that appear in the production uses of natural rubber as a commodity. I'm saying this why? Because when prices are high, as we've seen, for example, in the early 2010s, then there's a push for expansion. And when there's this push for expansion that is driven by the high prices, then the big risks are around deforestation, for example, and exploitation, land grabbing, for example, and all issues that are linked to new development, into new plantation developments. But in the last few years, prices have been quite low. And I think with this slump in prices, what we've seen is that one of the key risks that we are having is the livelihoods of the 85% of production of natural rubber that is coming from smallholders. So these smallholders' livelihood have been at risk in the past years. And this is something that also we need to surely look into with the work of GPSNR. Together with this, there are, of course, risks that are linked to practices and linked to the operations. But I would say that the major risks that we find are the risks linked to environmental and social issues linked to the production of the commodity. And do you feel across the sector then, and thinking in downstream companies as well as upstream, is there a lack of awareness of these risks, do you think? Well, I wouldn't say that there's a lack of awareness of the risks. I think that companies on a company-by-company basis have done some work, some better, some less in the past years, to understand the risks and to put systems in place to mitigate these risks. I know uh, one of our members, Sockfin, is here, one of the key producers, and I know they've done a lot of work on this. But I think what has been lacking, actually, in the industry in the past years is a collective action in uh, understanding, uh, mitigating the risks that are systemic risks in the value chain. So when we speak about living wages, for example, when we speak about deforestation, these are risks that companies understand, but the companies have absolutely no opportunity to be able to resolve if they tackle them by themselves on a company-by-company basis. Uh, You can just imagine what it would mean if a single company decided to willingly pay living wages tomorrow you will be probably out of business in a month if your peers don't take the same approach. The same is valid for deforestation. You can stop deforestation in an area and you can just cause deforestation in an other area because you're driving the prices of land up or or down depending on how you're operating in the market. That's something that really GPSNR, I think, is well set to, uh, to find solutions for. Although, of course, this is a work that will take some time. We touched on these a little earlier, some of the benefits of your work with the accountability framework. How in particular then has the accountability framework helped with the creation of your policy framework, creating a credible policy framework? It's been incredibly useful. From the beginning, we understood that when you go at a table with an open negotiation, the worst thing you can have is to start from a blank page. And I think the accountability framework allowed us to instead start from a very solid initial draft, which was the key principles of the AFI. And the working group was working on this piece of work. You know, I had the benefit of collaborating with the staff at AFI, but also with the, some of the AFI members that were active in the GPSNR working group and getting that knowledge 
shared with all the companies and other actors and stakeholders that were working on this. Of course, that, that was one key benefit, having an initial draft of what we were looking at, but also it was very key to understand what were the civil society expectations on what is considered today the best level of standard and practices that you can have in the sector. And it was very clear that having a coalition of civil society organizations so prominent, such as the ones in AFI, was giving us a good understanding of what was that bar that we were willing to reach. I think it, was, it made it clearer for companies and it made it easier also to make the decision to agree on what the standard ended up being, which is our current GPS and our policy framework. And if I could just add something, one thing I learned from the process too is that using the accountability framework as a reference for setting policies, it's not just a cut and paste job. And we didn't enter it with that expectation of, oh, we've already done the work for you here, take it. And now it becomes the GPS in our policy. It really was a, a solid starting point. And as Stefano said, it allowed them to begin the process, not with the blank piece of paper, to not have to focus on what certain definitions should be that are already very well recognized or what expectations around FPIC or having grievance mechanisms should be. You know, that part we were able to really fast track and it allowed the working group through a really long period of time to come together and deliberate and reach consensus on some of those trickier issues that were specific to the rubber sector. And that was, I think, really important, not just in terms of contextualizing the framework, but also to get the internal and external buy-in that they needed for companies and others to be willing to adopt the commitments that they were making. Stefano, back with you. So how has alignment with EFI helped your members more broadly? We have a vast array of members in GPS now that come from very different experiences. We have very large companies that have very many resources and a vast ability of dealing with sustainability issues. And this is one side of the spectrum. We also have companies that are smaller companies and then maybe are starting their sustainability journey. And I think what the AFI framework gave us is a solid ground to understand from all of these companies what are the expectations and what is the end goal in the journey. With the understanding of that, also starting creating a level of discussion within GPSNR that made us understand what were different perspectives from different actors and what are the different pathways that we need to start taking, both as a collective and on a company by company basis and on a stakeholder by stakeholder basis to achieve those goals that are set by the AFI. Everything is easier when you can see your destination. It makes it easier for you to start the journey, to understand where are your gaps, and also understand if you think that maybe it's not the time for you to start, you don't think you're comfortable because you think that the goals are too high, but you have peers on the side that are able to tell you, here you go, this is what I did, this is where I am in the journey, maybe a few meters ahead of you, but this is the journey that I've taken so far, and you, you can do it as well. That was really helpful for all companies within GPS now. And we'd like to turn to Philip now. Philip de Groot um, from Sockfin. Sockfin, a company that develops and manages oil palm and rubber plantations in Africa and Southeast Asia. So, Philip, why did Sockfin join the GPSNR? First of all, you mentioned that tropical agriculture is our core business. Our group has a long-standing experience in managing rubber and oil palm plantations in West and Central Africa and uh, Southeast Asia. It's an integrated group, so we are producing raw rubber and we are processing, so the first transformation, we are processing uh, not only our own rubber, but also rubber coming from third parties, small farmers surrounding communities, about 50-50. And then our trading company is selling our processed rubber to customers worldwide. 
Now, the tire maker sector is by far the biggest market for our main grade of natural rubber. And the last few years, our customers were asking more questions on sustainability aspects of the supplied rubber. And joining GPSNR has enabled us to meet all those expectations, provide the data, and that would be a first reason. The second reason is that our group has always tried to produce palm oil and natural rubber in an environmentally and socially friendly manner. For instance, we have been reaching out to communities and helped those who were interested to create their own plantations. We provided technical support, but still sometimes probably we had it wrong. The approach was questioned by CSOs and we have learned over the last few years to communicate better, to better document what we are doing. And obviously we have to continuously improve our internal processes with the aim of being on the front runners also for sustainable natural rubbers. So that would be a second reason. For these reasons, when it was created, GPSNR, we seized the opportunity and uh, we helped shaping the platform as we both have the experience with RSPO because of the oil palm and we have extensive knowledge of the reality on the field in the rubber producing areas. In our case, it's predominantly Africa. So we think that we can positively contribute and that our views are valuable also for the platform. Let's think about some of the advantages for you then being involved in this the collaborative platform. How does taking decisions as an industry, do you think, helps the sector streamline and standardise approach? Well, indeed, we are working within GPSNR with the whole sector. It's important if you want to develop a common set of principles and objectives. We are interacting with members at every level in the value chain within GPSNR. That will help us meet the expectations and also be realistic. It's a continuous process. Some members may be advancing at a faster pace than others. And so far, it's also been a learning process, including for myself. And I think for all participants, some hardly know how the latex is produced on the field or how a rubber tree would look like, whereas others, including myself, are learning permanently from the views of downstream actors, such as car maker companies. And then we have the CSOs. We discussed it earlier. I think their active involvement was initially a cause of concern for some members, but it definitely proves to be beneficial to provide some structure. We discussed about the AFI contributions and to make sure also that the policies and the reporting requirements, among others, that they will meet certain universal standards or the references. So the working groups, for example, they are consisting of members with different perspectives, different backgrounds operating at the various levels in the value chain. And I believe this is the proper format to ensure that the recommendations and the targets will be accepted to the biggest number of members across the value chain. Sometimes the discussions have been long, but the issues are usually resolved in a satisfactory manner. So you asked about standardization. Standardization, for me, it's a must. If we want to maximize the efficiency, we are in the upstream producers category. We are providing raw rubber to many customers. We are aiming for a uniform data and reporting system to avoid duplication, wasting time and energy. And I believe also downstream for customers and consumers, for example, a scoring system would greatly facilitate the interpretation or have an idea about the degree of sustainability in your supply chain. Would it make it easier to, to understand? You touched on this a little bit just now, but as in any organisation involving lots of different actors, there are going to be challenges. What have been the principal challenges that you face in your time as in SOCFIT and how have collectively these been resolved? Well, I would say for our category, since we started 
there's some fear that the downstream categories being tire makers or end users may try to shift the bulk and the burden of the responsibility to the raw rubber producers. That means the farmers, big producers or small producers and the processes which are operating in the producing countries, which would obviously some be somehow paradoxical because one of the targets of the sustainability journey is to make sure that the workers in the rubber sector in these regions can make a decent living. But this is a brainstorming that is currently ongoing in a working group that is called Shared Responsibility. Members of our category and smallholders are now anxiously waiting to understand how customers and consumers will encourage more sustainable production and differentiate those producers that are complying with sustainable natural rubber standards from those who are not. So that has been and is still a challenge. Otherwise, I think we are discussing issues, learning, listening to the various perspectives, also accounting for the concerns or the constraints of other parties and then reaching agreements. I guess then that from your perspective, you'd recommend membership of the GPSNR to other companies involved in the upstream side of the sector? Yes, I believe that GPSNR as a multi-stakeholder platform will ultimately become the reference in natural rubber as it is going. The platform is benefiting from active participation of all relevant actors in the natural supply chain. So that means for a company, it can either stand on the sideline and then jump on the train at a later stage, or rather join today and thus influence the process. And I think it's probably better to be involved earlier on, as it allows starting to adjust your internal processes, policies, documentation, but also implementation change some of your operational practices rather than catching up at a, at a later stage. Yes, so I do. Let me turn now to Anna from Bridgestone. Bridgestone, of course, the global tyres and rubber products business. So Anna, Bridgestone, you've been a member of GPSNR from the start. So what for Bridgestone have been the benefits of being a member? As you all said, Bridgestone has been a GPSNR member since day one, as all other tyre industry project members as well. I think part of the benefits of being a founding member is that it has allowed us to proactively have a role and a voice to represent one of the main natural rubber consumers in the world. So we have an important role to play and we are aware of that. So being part of GPSNR has been critical for our progress towards a more sustainable natural rubber as well. We're able to better understand the organization, I would, I would say, from just the fact of being there from the beginning, we have the historical background, we understand better the members, the challenges that we're facing, how some of those working groups or those projects have evolved with time. And it comes handy, you know, to, to have all of that background being such a, such a big player in such a huge organization as, as GPSNR. We have an active role in working groups, just to name a few. We have firsthand understanding of the needs to drive that sustainable natural rubber value chain. And as Stefano said before, no single company have, can fix it all. So being part of the group that aims to achieve the same goal is critical. I know we, we talked about the policy framework earlier, didn't we? The fact that GPSNR developed a policy framework. What's been Bridgestone's experiences of aligning with that framework? Well, the development of the framework was a reminder of how complex the natural rubber supply chain is and the multiple ESG impact opportunities that we have to address, just to name a few, where we talk about deforestation, human rights, etc. The process for developing the policy framework allowed for healthy debate, I would say, and consideration from Bridgestone's perspective. 
not only as a tire maker, but we have multiple hats. We're producers and processors ourselves. So we have a particular role within the platform. As the policy alignment process, I would say that this was a very unique opportunity for Bridgestone and GPSNR to align on industry best practices, contribute to stronger natural rubber industry expectations moving forward. There was definitely a back and forth between Bridgestone and GPS and our secretariat throughout, but the secretary was very responsive and supporting in, in, in this whole process. How have you found working in this multi-stakeholder environment? Philip mentioned a little bit about some of the potential conflicts between upstream and downstream. How have you found working in a multi-stakeholder environment has helped understanding the challenges for everybody rather than just you know, your little bit of the, of the supply chain? Definitely there's conflict, but also there's opportunities. I think uh, that the platform has allowed us to have visibility over aspects of the upstream or downstream that we probably didn't have before, right? It's a network with a robust list of members. It's that first connection, I would say, or first-hand connection that we have with some of those members. The biggest value, I think, in my opinion, is the collaboration through the working groups and discussion sessions. Otherwise, I don't think that in a one-on-one scenario, we will get as much as we get from a group conversation. It's not one single company talking to another single company. It's a group representing a sector that represents the needs or the challenges or the opportunities for a bigger group. We listen, we consult with each member, we validate proposals, we define actions. And from the starting point, I think that the most important part of this is that the opinions of all the members are properly represented. So nothing here passes as a one sector initiative. Of course, there are differences. Of course, we have to improve our dialogue skills, I would say, and try to align and agree on certain things. But I think that's the beauty and the richness of a platform such as such as these. Right now, for example, I sit in the shared responsibility working group, as Philippe mentioned before, and I think we have a huge challenge ahead of us and we need to properly represent the upstream and facilitate the, the resources, the strategies, the actions that will enable the rest of the value chain members to implement and execute um, sustainable practices that will definitely at the end help us achieve the, the main goal here. It's, it's a sustainable value chain for all. I asked Philip why he would recommend membership of the GPSNR to others in the upstream sector. Same question to you, in downstream sector, why would you recommend membership? I don't think I would only recommend it to tire makers, honestly speaking. I would recommend it to all supply chain actors because GPSNR's mission to lead those improvements are beneficial for all. We definitely will see a benefit of it and as other tire makers will. But I think the beauty or the biggest gain is all members of value chain are properly represented. Benefits such as the network that we have, the possibility to impact the industry are the most valuable aspects to consider for me. I think standardization, speaking the same language, it's beneficial for execution, for implementation, that one individual company will have it more harder to do. I've got a question for everybody as we come towards the end of our discussion, and it's what we should we be looking out for from the rubber sector in the next few months? Stefano, let me turn to you first. So what are you looking out for over the rest of 2022? First of all, I think it's been a couple of challenging years for everyone because of COVID. So my main hope for this year is that we manage to get that and the pandemic behind us. And we can really start having the work of GPSNR reaching the ground and starting implementation very close to, to getting that. We started, we have fully funded capacity building projects that will start in Indonesia, in Thailand, and in Cote d'Ivoire this year. Uh, we're looking at the implementation guidance being produced. So I hope that that will also help member companies start to work directly in their operation with the help of GPSNR. So yeah, from commitment to implementation is my hope for 2022. Philip, for you. 
Well, what I said earlier, to make significant progress in the discussions about shared responsibility, but also the assurance model. It's something that hasn't been finalized, so I think we have a lot of work on our plates. I think we made good progress despite the COVID, so we all started working through calls, but under the heading of Stefano and even the working group chairs, we still made good progress. But these would be the two ones I would choose to make good progress during 2022. Anna, same question to you. What are you looking out for over the course of this year? I agree with Philip with the assurance model. I definitely would like to have approval on the shared responsibility framework and see some progress in terms of the roadmap and immediate actions for all members. Karen, back to you. Perhaps more broadly, what are you looking for from the rubber sector this year? You know, just going back to what I said before that, you know, there's a really solid policy framework in place, but in order to turn it to implementation, it really does take the collaborative problem solving that is very apparent in the platform. And so I'm just looking forward to all of the various work streams and working groups within GPSNR to make the advances that they need to overcome the challenges around traceability and shared responsibility and all the other issues that were mentioned. And, I, and so I, I really think that this is gonna be a great year for more collaboration and more work all along the supply chain to turn from just making commitments to actually doing good on them. And then I guess looking beyond rubber, particularly for downstream companies, rubber is generally not the only product that is in a car, a tire, a shoe, many of the other types of products that are being developed by companies who are members within GPSNR. One of my hopes is that they look not just at setting and implementing commitments for their rubber operations, producing and sourcing, but also at a more corporate level to look at all the other commodities. For example, it was referenced palm oil or soy or whatever some of these other companies are also working in that they have commitments across all of their supply chains and all of the commodities that they're using. Thanks everyone. It's been a fascinating conversation and thank you very much for all your insights. Perhaps we can come back and have the conversation again in a year's time when we can see where we got to. But for now, my thanks to Karen, to Stefano, to Philip and to Anna. Thanks so much indeed. I've been Ian Welsh. Goodbye. <laughs>